Yesterday we studied the idea of Christ's ministration in the heavenly sanctuary. Today we're going to study about the conclusion of that ministration. Revelation chapter 8, and we're looking at about verse 5. Verse 5, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire off the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. The picture is that you have here the altar. It has on it a bed of coals. These coals are taken into a censer Then the censer is thrown to the earth. And the idea is that the coals are going to be scattered all over the earth. Throwing the censer to earth is a very interesting idea. Because in the verse before, this is the censer that's being used to mix the prayers of God's people with the righteousness of Jesus. That is, that there's a picture here. This censer is part of what we call the intercession. The intercession of Jesus, it represents it. When this censer is thrown to the earth, then there's no more censer in the sanctuary. If there's no censer in the sanctuary, then there is no intercession going on. What I want to do this morning is show you a number of other passages that are relevant to this picture and, uh, and teach you something that way. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6 is one of the most preached about chapters in Scripture and one of the least understood chapters in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. We're looking at verse 3. And one cried unto another, that is one angel, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This passage is so helpful to Adventists. Why is it helpful to Adventists? Because in verse 1, it describes the throne of God. And where is that throne found in verse 1? Do you see it in your Bible? Where? Yeah, it's high and lifted up, and where is it at? What building? The thrones in the temple. That might seem like such a fundamental or kind of like peripheral idea, but this idea that God's throne is in his temple is very much an Adventist idea. That there really is a temple in heaven, for example. And that God reigns from his temple in heaven. That's where his throne is. But in verse 3, we have a picture. It says about the earth, that the whole earth, this is the earth in our little drawing up here, 
The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice for a minute the tense. What tense does it use to describe? Is it the whole earth was full, the whole earth will be full, or the whole earth is full? It says is, right? The whole earth is full of his glory. In fact, this is the reason that the angels are saying, holy, 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 the earth is full of his glory. Notice verse 5, excuse me, verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. We talk about the house, but the house we're talking about is the temple in heaven. What's happening here is that the posts of the door are shaking when this, when this voice is crying out. And then what happens inside this temple? Verse 4, what happens inside the temple? That's right, it fills with smoke. Keep a finger or a piece of paper or your little red ribbon here in Isaiah 6. We're going to come back to it several times. But turn right now to Revelation 15. Revelation chapter 15. We're going to read in verse 8. This is the introduction to the seven last plagues. They begin in the very next verse. And the temple was filled with, what does it say? With smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. When does this temple fill with smoke? It's during the seven last plagues. What does that smoke represent? It represents that whatever was going on inside this temple before, it's not going on now. There's no activity inside the temple during what period of time? During the seven last plagues. The symbol looks very, very similar to what we saw over here when the censer is thrown down, like there's no more activity inside the temple. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, and we're looking at verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. During this time, while the house is filled with smoke, during this time when the earth is full of the glory of God, the experience that Isaiah describes for himself is one of feeling very unworthy. We describe this kind of feeling in Adventism as the time of Jacob's trouble. You 
can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 30 to 31. What is the time of Jacob's trouble? It's a time in the future when the intercession in the heavenly sanctuary has ended, when in figure the house is full of smoke, when the earth is full of the glory of God, but when God's people are keenly aware of their unworthiness. What are you asking, Miss Richards? I mean, you're Miss Richards, sorry. Go ahead, what? Jeremiah 30 through 31. That's the two chapters where you can read more about this time in Jacob's trouble if you want to do your own research. I don't know if you'll ever end up studying the time of Jacob's trouble, but the summary of what happens in the future time is that if you are faithful, the idea will be in your mind that your case is about hopeless. You won't be able to think of any particular sin that you've done, but you'll have the sense that your whole life has been pretty, pretty rotten. And that idea will be crushing. You'll feel like there's not much hope for you. That was the experience of Isaiah here. Look at verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. The picture is kind of odd. The, the altar's hot, so you use tongs to grab the coals. But what does he put the coals in? He puts him in his hand. It's not a very comfortable picture, but it doesn't seem to bother the angel. The, the angel has coals in his hand. And he laid it, that is the coal, upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Let me just ask the question from Isaiah 6. When these coals are scattered on the earth, what does that represent? In Isaiah 6, it represents a message coming from heaven that is to let God's faithful people who are feeling so unworthy know that they are forgiven. Their sin has been purged. Their iniquity is history. And that is going to happen. During those seven last plagues, after this time of Jacob's trouble, God's people are going to look radiant and happy and glad for what's coming. It's a solemn picture. You can read about it in early writings, page 279 to 281. It describes there how those who have chosen the wrong way will come up to us. And they will beg for us to pray for them. And it says there that the last tear will have been shed for guilty sinners. The last agonizing prayer offered. And we will say, we're sorry, we have nothing for you. Why? This is when it's too late. There's nothing going on in the sanctuary. No man can enter there because the sanctuary is full of smoke. There's no intercession going on there. The censer has been thrown to the earth. Yeah, that's the picture. 
The verse people preach out from Isaiah 6 is verse 8. It's that question, who will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. We usually preach that verse and don't preach any further from this chapter. Have you ever looked to see what, what message he sent with? Look, look at verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, and understand not, and see ye indeed, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Is there any mercy in those two verses? Look at verse 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaken in the midst of the land. In summary, Isaiah 6 is a picture of the close of human probation. And it describes how God's people are going to feel, then how they're going to be realized that they have been forgiven, and how at that point that the world is going to be coming to them for help, and what's going to be their message for the world? It's going to be hopelessness. You're going to hear, you're going to see, but you're not going to understand, you're not going to be converted, you're not going to be healed. And the question is, how long do we have to, is that going to be the message we have for the world? And the answer is, how long? Until the earth is empty of humans. Until the cities don't have anyone in them. And those that have been saved have been removed far away from the, what did it say? Been moved far away from the land. They've been taken off the earth. Turns me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel 10 is largely the same picture as Isaiah 6. Have you in this class already studied Ezekiel 9? Did you study that in connection with Revelation 7? When you studied about the seal of God, did you ever get to Ezekiel 9? I'm seeing several no's and a bunch of blank stares. So, how many of you know what's in Ezekiel 9? Can I see your hands? Like, know something that's in Ezekiel 9? That's zero hands. All right, so we have to start in Ezekiel 9 then. Ezekiel chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 2. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lies toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. One among them was clothed with linen and with a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. You get the picture of the sanctuary here, and now you have out here seven men, and you have one of them that has a writer's inkhorn. That represents a writer's inkhorn. What do the rest of them have? Slaughter weapons. It doesn't mention what kind of slaughter weapons in particular they have. Verse 3. And the glory of the Lord, the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was, 
to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, linen which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. So here is the glory of God in the most holy place. And it rises and comes to the door and stops right about here. This is the glory of God. Verse 4, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. This particular man is told, Go through the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who are really upset about the sins in the church. That should remind you something of what you learned in Revelation 7. What did you see there? You saw that there was an angel that was going to serve God's servants, serve, going to seal God's servants in the forehead. Verse 5. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Notice verse 6 in particular. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. In short, in Ezekiel 9, which is just before Ezekiel 10, you have a picture of the sealing experience where God says that here's my church, the church, who's, who's the church composed of in Ezekiel 9? It's men, it's women, it's also maids and young men, and even little children. Who receives the seal of God in this picture? What do you say? It's those who sigh and cry for, for the abominations in the church. This is the good news. If anyone can be killed, then anyone can be sealed. And you're not too young to sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the land. Infants or small children are not too young to do that. That's who receives the seal. And what happens to those that don't receive the seal? They're slaughtered. Every one of them. Old and young, little ones. Ezekiel 9 is a picture of this process when the intercession ends, when the house fills with smoke, when there's no more mercy, then God's judgments break forth upon the inhabitants of the world. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. The end of chapter 9, which is just the verse right above here, is where the sealing is finished. What does the man with the inkhorn say? I have done as you have commanded me. And there's, everyone's been sealed. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone, as the appearance of a throne. So right here, over the cherubims that are on either side of the mercy seat, high above them appears a, a throne. What color is sapphire? Don't you know what color sapphire is? What? It's blue. Here appears a blue throne, like a blue stone, high and lifted up above the cherubim, 
And that's what shows up as soon as the sealing is done. Verse 2, And he spake unto the man clothed with linen, and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill your hand with, what does it say? With coals of fire from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. Here probation has closed. The sealing is finished. And Ezekiel is instructed to come here to the altar, fill his hand with coals, and scatter them all over the city. It's the same picture we saw in Isaiah 6, the same one we saw in Revelation 8. Look at verse 3. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the, what does it say? The cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. If you study the sanctuary, the court is out here. What does the courtyard represent? It represents the earth. That's why you have in the courtyard the, the altar. Jesus is our intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary, but where did he make the sacrifice? That was on earth. Where do we confess our sins? That's on earth. On earth is represented by the court. And here you have that the smoke fills the sanctuary, and what fills the court? At the same time, it says the glory of God. The glory of God fills the court, and the earth is filled, I mean, the earth is filled with the glory of God, and the sanctuary is filled with smoke. Listen, is this the same picture we saw in Isaiah 6? It's the same picture. Everything. The throne lifted up, the smoke and the coals and the city being touched with them, and the threshold. It's the same picture, just two different prophets describing it. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, and we're looking at verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And what does it say? The earth was lighted with his glory. This is that last message to the world. Verse 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. This is the picture of the same period of time. I guess the elements are complex, but between Ezekiel, or excuse me, Revelation 18, and we could have looked at Revelation 7, but I, that's kind of funny. We could have looked at Revelation 7, but I know you've already looked at that. I wanted to show you that Revelation 7 is the same as Ezekiel 9. With all these things written up here, it can all be put together in a simple way or a simple course of events described. 
and we looked at Revelation 15. What happens if we put all the chapters together? The first thing that happens is that God's throne appears. The next thing that happens is that the... Well, there's several things that happen simultaneously, but we can just give them in a random order. The house fills with smoke. What does that represent? No more intercession. What else happens? The censer or the coals are thrown down. That also means no more intercession, but it means something else. The coals have the purpose of cleansing, and they're thrown to the earth. God's people, their sins have been blotted out. At this time, God's people on earth represent his character, and the earth is described as being full of the glory of God. And there's a message to the world, and at that point, the message to the world is a message of hopelessness. And how long is that message of hopelessness preached? It's until the seven plagues are passed. Who escapes the seven plagues? It's those that sigh and cry for the abominations that are in the church. Does anyone have any questions about this process? About what we've studied about this morning? So I'm going to ask you some quiz questions. This isn't to write on a quiz. I'm just talking to you. What would be the thing to be doing now in view of what's coming later? Do these passages give any hints of something to be doing now? Yeah. Okay, because there is a time coming when there's no more intercession, so the thing to be doing is to get the word out, because we don't want to be giving that message to people that we know. I mean, if there's a message that says there's no more hope for you, Mr. Donahue, I don't want to give that message to you. So now is the time to preach. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's what's very apparent. This is a time to be concerned about what's going on around us. It's a time to be sad about the spiritual declension of our neighbors and our acquaintances and who's angry with them? No, but sad? Yes. This is what we do in preparation to receive the seal of God.
And very apparently, this is the time to put away our sins. Because when that time comes, we want our sins to be blotted out. Why would God give so... We didn't look at all of them. Why would he give so many pictures about this hopeless time? It is because we want to see enough about it to be motivated to get ready. Has the question ever occurred to you, why doesn't Jesus just come as soon as probation ends? Why doesn't he come just right then when probation is over? The answer is that this story is important to the great controversy. It's important for the angels that we're going to join in heaven to look down and see that when we think that our case is hopeless, that we're still going to do the right thing. 